0: Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Friday, July 23rd, 2021. Now, Drew, if this were a normal year, you and I might have been able to record the show together in the exact same place, because more than likely we both would have been down in San Diego for Comic-Con. Realistically, between preview night starting on Wednesday... This is Friday night. So we'd we'd already be exhausted, right? From running back and forth to the Hilton where the press stuff is to sneaking in the back door at Hall H hoping somebody's got you a pass. I mean, we're tired, but we're not the bone tired the way you are on Sunday night. It's at that moment where it's like, why do I do this to myself? But at the same time, I mean, I really like Comic-Con. I mean, it's exhausting and it's aggravating. As it can be sometimes, you do get to see very cool things. And speaking yeah. of which, like the later part of the, today's show, you're you're going to talk about something very very cool that's being offered at this year's Comic Con. Do you have a particular favorite memory of, of going down there, or well,
1: you know, last time I went was great because I went down on like Friday night and came back on Sunday morning, and I, so I just had. Hall H on Saturday I walked around I got to say hello to some of my favorite artists mm-hmm. and toy makers and you know that was the big uh Phase 4 presentation for Marvel that you know had uh Fantastic 4 and Blade and all that and you know jumped on a panel right afterwards was on a panel there and uh you know, it was it was a whirlwind, but it was really fun. I mean, one year I went down and hosted a panel of animators from Walt Disney Animation Studios that did comics outside of their profession, which was very cool and very interesting. A lot of those guys aren't there anymore. But I think Natalie was on the uh, the panel back then. Um, this was before her, uh, what is it, how, how to have a career in animation? Or I came to L.A. to have a career in animation. There we go,
0: Natalie. Yeah. yeah. You know, the... the... Yeah. I, I remember, I think it was my first or second year going to Comic-Con, I was, geez, I think it was the Animation Guild panel where I was in, invited to be on the panel. And it's one of these things where I think I've got Tom Cedar to one side and June Foray to the other side. And it's one of these things where it's like, you know, again, that, that Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the, it was just said, sort of, what am I doing here? They wanted the outside perspective. And it's intriguing to be on, the, on a panel. It's intriguing, you know, it's great fun to be wandering the halls. Obviously, last year didn't happen because of the pandemic. This year, not happening because, or in person because of the pandemic. We have the well, spec- except for
1: the Thanksgiving. Yes, thing the thing uh,
0: November sixth yeah. through the twenty eighth. But DC has kind of broken off and is doing its Fandom thing, and Marvel seems to do all of its big announcements now at the D twenty three Expo. Do you think we're, we're ever going to see the Comic Cons <laughs> that we knew again? Or I
1: don't. F- Think especially because next summer we have D twenty three and uh, the Lucas thing. It's
0: true the the Star Wars celebration. Star you're Wars right.
1: celebration. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Dan Z was just asking me about that. You're gonna do it this year? Or, you know, you're gonna do the celebration next year? And it's like, I mean, I hate to say this, particularly given what's going on, you know, in LA right now just are we going to mask up again and you know what's going on with the variant i think what the past year or so has taught us is like you made a plan that was your mistake Right. So I think I'll just take it as it comes and hope that Star Wars Celebration actually happens and we get to go there. But Yeah. Anyway, we've got some news that just came out of Comic-Con. But before we get to that, the news portion of fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. You dug up... Three trailers that I'm guessing came out of the Paramount Plus panel today, or
1: yes, yes, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. And there was also some. I don't know if we're talking about this today, but there was some Adventure Time news.
0: Was it really? Oh, yeah.
1: I think the next Distant Lands mm-hmm. they dated or something. But oh. Anyway, cool. I'll try to I'll try to fi- figure that out while we're talking. Okay. Jim, just to cool, okay. oh, cool,
0: cool. All right. So, the three trailers that came out of the Paramount Plus panel, we got a season two trailer for. Star Trek Lower Depths, for those of you who remember, season one of this sort of adult animated series that affectionately riffs on the the worlds of Star Trek, debuted back on that subscription streaming service, previously known as CBS All Access, back in August of last year. Got 10 episodes and ran through October of 2020. Season two kicks off on August 12th, also 10 episodes, also run through October, and We also saw a third season of Lower Deck picked up in April of this year, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. I love this show, don't you?
0: I do, I do. I mean, sometimes it's a little too inside baseball, even for me. And again, I've been watching Star Trek in real time since the first series debuted. I mean, it was a very big deal at our house. I think it was the season that they moved it into the death spot, which was 10 o'clock on Friday night. I still remember having to cut deals with my parents. Come on, let me stay up. Let me watch it. So, yeah, I mean, I I enjoy it. But every so often, the dialogue is moving so quickly. And, you know, there are so many references going. But I guess that's the whole point. They want you to rewatch it and catch all the jokes. The other trailer uh, here in the pile from The World of Star Trek was uh, Star Trek Prodigy. Which we just talked with the, the Hagemans about uh, Kevin and Dave, right? Yeah, I thought it looked really, really good and really fun. I thought it looked great. In fact, you know, the, the, I, again, I don't want to make an apples and oranges comparison here because Troll Hunters: Rise of the Titans was obviously a feature length film that that was supposed to get theatrically released, right? Uh,
1: I don't know if it was ever supposed to be theatrically released, although it's showing here in in uh, L.A. on Sunday. Oh. So I might have to go check it out. Yeah.
0: Cool, cool. But I thought the visuals in this trailer were that good, that strong. So very much looking forward to that. We don't have a date yet on that. Uh, All they say is Star Trek Prodigy will debut this fall on Paramount Plus and will eventually air on Nickelodeon. So I got to assume if uh, Star Trek Lower Decks ends in October, you kind of assume this is is following this at some point right
1: yeah i think so okay. I, we have to figure out when discovery is coming back too you know there's so many so many star trek things going on these days jim
0: i know i know do we have any info on brave new world or we
1: have no info on brave new world picard comes back in the in 2022 <laughs> A little time travel action there jim so he'll he'll be in la and Circa 2021, I think. So that'll be a okay. Had very been. budget budget <laughs> conscious decision, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, I did not know
0: that. Okay, yeah. cool. All yeah. right, well, time travel has always been fun in the Star Trek realm, and and then finally, we also got a trailer for the Harper House, an adult animated series that really seems to be putting the the accent on adult. That's the dead sex slave in the closet. That's it. It's not the design was solid, like the animation. want to see an actual episode before I pass judgment. And have we found anything out about Adventure Time?
1: Yes, it is called Wizard City. Mm-hmm. They don't have a release date yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is uh, following Peppermint Butler this time. Oh! So, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. And this cool. is the last Distant Lands, the four, fourth of the four specials. So... It'll be back, I'm sure. Okay,
0: undoubtedly there'll be more news out of San Diego Comic Con, which we'll cover on next week's show. However, a few days before Comic Con began in San Diego, Con Film Festival wrapped up in the south of France, seventy fourth edition, two weeks long. But we've talked about Bell the Marum Mamaro Hosadas animated feature. Did you see what happened at the premiere?
1: not until you told me in this document but i am ready for it. i mean you and i are very excited about this but even more so absolutely now that yeah. i hear what happened
0: yeah when they ran this animated feature it got a 14 minute long ovation again this was on july 15th and to put that in perspective the longest ovation on record for khan is actually for Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth that got 22 minutes So the fact that it got this sort of reaction from that crowd. That's crazy. Still very, very, very much looking forward to Bell, which uh, G-Kids will be releasing theatrically, both in its original Japanese language version as well as an English dub version. This winter, which... Ah, oh, We need it, Jim. We need it. I know, but it's just... You know, these things get a little vague. And, but good things come to those who wait. In fact, speaking of which, though, this past weekend, finally, I got around to watching Earwig and the Witch. Okay. This is that co-production from Studio Ghibli and NHK. This originally aired on television January 30th of last year. Became available on HBO Max in February, and it is scheduled to be released theatrically by Toho in August of this year, but with additional scenes.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Now, mind you, it was supposed to be, it had been released theatrically, right? It was supposed to be out in April, but the, the pandemic flared up, and they pushed it then to late August.
1: I will reach out to GKids and see what the domestic plan is if we're going to get this special earwig uh, edition as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was genuinely charming. I mean, it was very, very much in the Studio Ghibli style, but Goro Miyazaki, uh, Hayao's son, I think, did a great job. Yeah. And would love to see what the supersized version of this was like. Yeah. Okay, after we finished that, we then went into Space Jam, A New Legacy thought the animation was solid, like the CG and 2D versions of the character. I also have to say the story was kind of an improvement over the original Space Jam from 86, but that's not the greatest compliment. In the first film, do you, do you remember, you'd be watching the first film and then you'd see the crowds in the background and realize that they had created like these two and three second long cycles for the crowds. Yes,
1: I also remember that they had... They only had a few models of uh, yes. characters. And yes. there would be like the purple version mm-hmm. or and, and they didn't even really do a great job of spacing out the characters. You know, mm-hmm. there'd be like two of the same ogre sitting next to each other. Yes.
0: Yes. You uh, uh, no, you've nailed it. You've absolutely nailed it. So I'm watching a new legacy and they've kind of buried the needle in the exact opposite direction. The crowds are so dense and they have longer animation cycles, and they seem determined to put as many different characters in as possible. And I honestly found I was pulled out of the game scene stuff toward the end numerous times because I kept doing the, well, who's in the background? Yes. And I'm doing this on, you know, a flat screen that's 48 or 52 inches. I don't know what it is, but... What was it like in the theaters? Was it the same thing, or? Oh yeah,
1: well yeah, and especially because I'm such a nerd, it was mm-hmm. like, oh my god, there's a character from Abominable back there, <laughs> you know, that ILM has recreated. I mean, it's just insane. You know, I saw the uh, the Animaniacs were up on kind of a
0: shelf. Uh, they were um, actually on the, on the water tower. Uh, well, no, they were sitting on Marvin Martian's spaceship.
1: That's right. That's, That's where
0: right. they were parked, and yes, it was distracting. But I was also impressed.
1: Yeah, there was also a huge disparity disparity between a fully three D iron giant, and then you cut to Don Cheadle, and he's surrounded by extras dressed as Batman villains that look like that they were just from Magic <laughs> Mountain or something. I mean, they, those extras were so bad, and it was just such a huge shift. From this a beautiful animation to mm-hmm. these really crummy suits that some twenty-two-year-old kid trying to get a SAG card was, you know, gyrating behind. Um.
0: Uh. <laughs> if you listen carefully, folks, that's the, that's the sound of us being cut from the the Warner Brothers Christmas card <laughs> list this year. But <laughs> that said, though, there has to be somebody out there online who's compiling a list of all of the characters that were in these crowd scenes. Because, again, I, the nerd in me wants to know. For example, there was a, the, the woman with the pale makeup, the little girl outfit that I thought, is that supposed to be Betty Davis from, you know, whatever became of Baby Jane? Or Yes,
1: correct. Ah, okay. Yeah. I mean, there are characters in the background from B- Barry Lyndon,
0: yep. Clockwork Barry? Orange. No, wait a minute. Barry Lyndon?
1: Yes. Uh, I believe there are <laughs> characters from Ken Russell's The Devil. the devils are in there. Um, I mean, and there are also weird things in the animation section too. Like the iron giant is the iron giant from ready player one. Um, You can see the kind of half constructed stuff. And then I thought it was interesting that it was like kind of classic King Kong, Mm -hmm. not the King, the modern King Kong versus Godzilla. There you go. Just some interesting choices uh, Mm -hmm. and all of that. But I thought the animation was totally beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm. No, Um, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I did not expect, That's all, folks, to be a cry line, but it was just sort of like, okay, all right, I see what you're doing here. Uh, Yeah, yeah. They went for it, Jim. They did. Listen, this movie did
1: not half ass anything. No,
0: no. It went for it. Yeah. You have to give them credit for when they went to the DC world. And leaned so heavily into the animated Superman from the '90s, you know. And
1: yeah, I think I told you about that when I saw it a few weeks ago, Mm. and I was so i I just love that world so much, and it was so fun to be in be in it again. Yeah, yeah. just
0: a little while. Yeah. Yeah, things I didn't know I was nostalgic for. I found out I was nostalgic for. But anyway, seriously, if there's anybody out there who's putting together a definitive list of characters, please send me a link. I'd I'd love. You know, because again, I know, I know I'm going to sit down and watch this again. I just want to be ready, you know, just like, okay, there he is. So, all right. And and speaking of subscription streaming services, uh, Netflix has a couple of anime features coming in in August. We got a new clip from Vivo, which is dropping on August 6th. What did you think? I... I'm very excited about Vivo, Jim, because I've been, you know,
1: following this project since it was at DreamWorks, I think, in, like, 2010 or uh, something. Yeah, so,
0: 10 years in the making. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, I'm very excited. I don't think that was the strongest mm-hmm. clip to lead with, mm-hmm. uh, I'll say. I was showing this clip. I was watching this clip on my, on my phone, and mm-hmm. my wife, I could feel getting annoyed because it just went on and on and on. But... <laughs> I, I'm very excited. I mean, you know, uh, Kirk Ma- D'Amico, who yeah. we love, who did The crudes mm-hmm. with Chris Sanders. Yep. We got Lynn manuel mm-hmm. and the writer of In the Heights. I mean, come on, Jim. I mean, this is this is going to be fun. I can't wait to watch it.
0: Yeah, same, thing think, here. same thing Same yeah. thing here. But then to kind of bury the needle in the other direction, we got coming from Netflix or arriving on Netflix – Uh, On August 23rd, we have The Witcher, uh, Nightmare of the Wolf, which is evidently a prequel of sorts to the live-action Witcher series, which uh, Season 1 debuted in December 2019 on Netflix, and uh, evidently this is supposed to hold fans of the show over because Season 2 doesn't debut till December 17th of this year. But again, it's a prequel. It's an origin story. It's not about... It's a
1: movie, too. It's yeah, a...
0: That's the <laughs> other thing. It's a, a full-length movie, and it's not about Henry Cavell's character, Geralt of Rivia, but it's rather about his mentor, Vesemer, who, I guess, in this the film we're seeing, he's a swashbuckling young witcher who escapes a life of poverty to slay monsters for coin. But a strange new monster begins terrorizing a politically fraught kingdom... Which sends him on a frightening adventure to force to confront demons of his past. So it's like, I have not watched a single episode of this show. But I, I, I thought I, this looked well put together. It's written by a Beau DeMeo, uh animated by Studio Mir, and Kwang El-Han, is that correct? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah, So um, yeah, I,
1: I, I'm looking forward to this. I haven't actually watched the first Witcher, but this showed up. Uh, in my little preview row so whenever I can talk about it okay. I will talk about it all that's my right. promise to you Jim and that's my promise to the listeners
0: <laughs> very cool we have been seeing Netflix really leaning into all manner of feature animation projects which clearly paid off handsomely in regard to Mitchell's Versus the Machine because I, I think you were the one you sent along the, the clip that what is it? it that's now the Sony Pictures Animation releases now the biggest animated film to date for for netflix
1: yeah yeah and they've had big movies you know klaus and yeah wish dragon and you know so um yeah i mean i it deservedly so right jim i mean this is a this is a masterpiece i think total slam dunk of a movie i'm just so excited for everybody involved
0: I, I'm really looking forward to the really for real holiday season to have a, a, a an excuse to circle back on Klaus, because I, right. I I just love that film. I think I think yeah. they did an amazing job with it. Not to say that Mitchell's versus the Machine you know, they said, you, know, you know Mike Veranda and producers Phil Lord and Chris Miller, likewise uh, co-director Jeff Pro shouldn't pat themselves on the back, because that's huge that Mitchell's Vicious Machine is their biggest animated film to date. But at the same time, you were pointing out that Luca has topped streaming films for the second week in a row now?
1: Yeah. we've. I think we've talked a little bit about how there, there was an element of Luca's success that was a surprise to people, and I think that mm-hmm. the amount of times that people are re-watching this movie you know, and getting it on top of that list again is really neat. And, you know, they are selling out of all the stuff at the parks. I, I, I was just at the El Cap yesterday and I, there was nothing in that store. Mm -hmm. um, Although that store is sort of becoming quite sad. (laughs) I don't know where (laughs) their merchandise is coming from because there's no Disney stores Mm -hmm. open, but um, you know, it's just a, it's much more of a phenomenon I think than anybody expected and the perfect summer movie and just so great. But, we are going to talk about another movie that kind of had its its um, consumer products sort of undervalued
0: in the market. Yes, marketplace. we are, the, you know, and, yes. and not only that, we're also I'm going to talk about a brand new Pixar thing that's come to the park.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
0: It has now been over 12 years since Up was first released to theaters. People forget today that this Pete Docter movie, which deservedly won the Best Animated Feature for that year, but it was also the second ever animated film behind Beauty and the Beast in 1991 to be nominated for Best Picture, literally just Best Picture. Didn't yeah. win, but you were saying first time around. Uh, you know when it was released to theaters in two thousand nine, it obviously was kind of a problematic when it came to merchandise because how do you do Carl Fredricksen as an action figure? I remember they had a, a Doug the Dog plush, and I think they did Russell, but well, that was it pretty much. Was it what,
1: an action figure or well, a plush no, just just what? as a plush.
0: Though the thing that made Doug talk, uh, you know, that that I guess if you squeeze Doug's paw, he talked. So, but yeah, I just remember the pickings were really kind of thin for up, which is why I was both thrilled and like, oh, no, now I have to buy something. When you sent around on this link today, and you explain this incredibly cool thing that Mattel is putting out.
1: Well, Mattel is doing a new series of figures called Mattel Creations. And they're kind of like, they're almost like the Black Series of uh, toys. And they're doing a bunch of uh, Pixar things. They're doing a WALL-E. They're doing a Woody. But first up is Kevin the Bird from Up. And this is an absolutely gorgeous 12-inch figure. It's got her three babies and a chocolate bar, and it has movable joints, authentic design. You can pre-order it right now on the website, $40, and you can buy two if if your little heart desires. Yeah, it's just really, really neat, and I got it. I loved it. I thought it was so cool, and I'm so happy to have Kevin, a a true strong Pixar female character on my (laughs) shelf
0: soon. (laughs) I, I have to admit, it is crazy on model. And the fact that it's posable. It was one of these things where it's like, I didn't want this until I saw it. Now I have to have it. Call Mattel, let them know you they You know, I got him. Okay. And make sure I get my gut.
1: I mean, just think that we would have been in Comic Con
0: spending money. So this is just This is you true. Know. Okay, there's an upside to this. But on the other hand, if I had flown out to California to do Comic-Con, I would have also continued on, you know, found some time to get up to the Disneyland Resort and whine and plead and, and get into DCA so, you know, I could finally experience the Avengers Campus. But while I was there, I would have slid over to the old Muppet Theater to check out this newly expanded version of Mickey's PhilharMagic, which now has a brand new scene from Coco. Earlier this week, I got the chance to talk with Tasha Sunart. She's an creative, associate creative director for theme parks at Pixar Animation. And she was kind enough to walk me through how this brand new piece for Mickey's Philharmagic came to be. i just fascinated with your resume. I mean, the notion of, you know, you literally walk through the door starting on A Bug's Life. So you're there basically, you're still at Point Richmond, aren't you? Or. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we were at Point Richmond until, I think, during Monsters, Monsters oh. Inc.,
0: yeah. Okay, so, and then you made the transfer over to the new campus in Emeryville, and then went off and explored the world of gaming, and then came back to do Associate Creative Director for Theme Parks at Pixar, correct?
2: That's correct, and then I also help out our interactive team um, for any video games that feature the Pixar characters. Um Our interactive team is very small. It's only three people. So we don't really have like a permanent creative person on their team. So I step in if they need creative reviews for story, character designs, animation, things
0: like that. Well, well, speaking of interactive, I have to tell you (laughs) one of the things that most impressed me about what Pixar has done in the theme park world over the past 10 or 15 years, was Turtle Talk with Crush. I mean, in a lot of ways, that was almost a moonshot, you know, between, you know, the the fact that you're doing real-time animation there with, you know, and at the same time reacting to what's going on in the room and and it's a character-driven performance as well. I mean, that must have been a crazy project to be in the middle of
2: yeah i i didn't work on the original one um but i did work on the finding dory update that we did um and yeah it is it was actually a really perfect project for me because i was coming off of working in games a lot and so in some ways it kind of is like a game actually our turtles we call them who are our performers that they're backstage and they use a playstation controller Mm To control Crush, um, mm-hmm. along with a, a touch screen. Mm-hmm. So basically, they have a suite of animations that mm-hmm. um, were done for Crush, and then um, so they can they can move him around using the controller, and then they touch um, different boxes on the touch screen to activate different animations, depending on how they want him to react.
0: <laughs> well, I've got a friend who works on or, or worked as part of the original team for. Her monsters laugh, Florida. He compared it to being a stand-up comedian. At the same time, you're landing planes at O'Hare Airport. You have to be able to react, but at the same time, be able to cue up the right animation.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Oh god.
2: Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot at once. I'm very impressed with them.
0: (laughs) I. Well, lucky enough this past weekend to see the animation for the new Coco sequence for Mickey's Philharmagic. And first of all, I, I think it's a real tribute to you and your team that it just fits in so seamlessly. I mean, this thing's been around for 18 years, and it, it just feels like it's always been there. You know, the, the, the thank you. <laughs> you know. so but but let's talk about this. Uh, you know, when did, you know, for example, you find out that? they were looking to update this attraction for the first time with, with Pixar characters.
2: Um, man, it must've been about maybe a year and a half or two years ago. It, it was a while ago. Um, yeah. Um, Tom Fitzgerald, who is the head of this project for WDI came to us and said that he also, he uh, directed the original PhilharMagic show.
0: Got it. So yeah.
2: he's been involved with the show for a long time. And mm-hmm. he came to us asking if he could use Coco to do a new segment. And we were like, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> so just to be clear here, it was right off the bat Coco. There was no other consideration of, you know, let say, well, I, I guess those other films are, I was about to say, you, you know, they're not musicals. <laughs> you know, it's like Yeah. You know, I mean,
2: like... Pixar doesn't have a lot of musicals.
0: <laughs> Got it. Especially,
2: okay. you know, we have songs in our films, but it's not always the characters singing the songs. Very um Coco is actually one of our only films that actually mm-hmm. has, you know, characters singing in it. Mm-hmm. So um it seemed like a good fit. Also, we just know that audiences love Coco and we love Coco as, you know, a company, I think. For me, it's one of my favorite Pixar movies. So, um, you know, we were excited to do it. It seems like a perfect fit for the oh,
0: show. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. But but for me, I mean, the thing about Mickey's magic is it's not just about the characters, it's also the worlds. The sequence is set in Aladdin. You're flying over Agrabah or, you know, the scenes involving Peter Pan. He's there landing on, on Big Ben or, uh, you know, and, and so the notion of, you're going to have to do the world of Coco. And, you know, for example, just that establishing shot where it's the city of the dead and just civilization on top of civilization and civilization. I mean, did you guys use any of the old established assets or was this all new? What did you do?
2: We did use the same sets from the film and the same character rigs. Um, Most of the stuff is from the film. We started with whatever um, environment from the film was closest to what we wanted, we would start with that. But really that, that beginning shot with the land of the dead, Mm -hmm. that was the most challenging shot because those backgrounds, like, you know, in the film, you only see it uh, at a certain width and Mm -hmm. a certain angle and for a certain short amount of time. (laughs) So we had to build out the backgrounds. Like, her Magic has
0: a big wraparound I screen. Very about the size wide. Of the screen. Oh my <laughs> right. god! Oh, you're right. Yeah,
2: yeah it's 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 very wide. So we oh. had to add like more buildings in the oh. background, and it in, ends up being you know a pretty heavy shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's more of a that's more of a technical kind of challenge okay. that we had to deal with. But um, yeah, it, we did have all the elements from the original film. The only kind of um, new stuff that we made was we made some new costumes for the band that walks behind um miguel and hector in the party scene
0: well now uh, speaking of which uh, you know, <laughs> i was lucky enough uh geez this was five years ago six ago when lee anchorage did the original presentation at the d23 expo he at that time showed what i guess was called the diorama lee at that point i think he explained it was the longest continuous shot that pixar had ever done in its history and it was, it was this amazing musical number also technical and it was really kind of sad when to see the the finished film and see, well where's the diorama that was <laughs> that's the thing you make things to sell a film or to prove to people that it can be made and sometimes they make it into the finished film so that's in fact one of the reasons we're doing this interview today when i saw the footage it's like that looks like the diorama and actually can <laughs> you know, I reach out to Chris Wickham to ask and, and he confirmed. So was that going in one of the things, Hey, we can finally use some of the di- diorama or.
2: Um, yeah. Like a lot of us really liked the diorama and we're mm. really impressed by it. And it just mm. has a real nice feeling of energy. To oh, it. Absolutely, like with the different characters coming in from the sides and mm-hmm. and the dancers and mm-hmm. all the marigold petals falling down. Like we absolutely. liked all of that, and we mm-hmm. liked how the camera on the diorama, the camera is pushing in, mm-hmm. and on ours, the camera is pulling out. But we liked that camera movement, mm-hmm. and so it just seemed like a really great shot for us to put in um, to fill her magic, especially because it's a three D show. Mm-hmm. So showing you know the depth of that street with different characters coming in and. You just like fun and energy. It's just a lot of the stuff that we wanted to have in our show. So we said, um, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't actually use any of the assets from the diorama itself because it was done a long time before the film was made. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the rigs had changed and uh, the buildings were not not finished. Um, and, and so we had to kind of rebuild our, um, our sidewalk our city right. sidewalk like we took buildings from the film and just kind of like moved them together into place right. <laughs> to create this long um sidewalk that we could travel down that was
0: that was similar to the diorama i mean you nailed the energy and you nailed the feel. and again it was great to see something that was inspired by you know that early early thing you know that, that sort of come back. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of it. So again, you, you mentioned Tom Fitzgerald reaches out. Hey, we want to do something with Coco, and so this is a year year and a half, two years ago. Was it the standard animation process? You board it out, you show it to Tom, and uh-huh. then you get signed that signed off on, or
2: yeah, um, pretty much. Um, you know, since it's since it's it, it all goes to a song. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of an extra step in there where we took an arrangement of Poco Loco from the mm-hmm. film and shortened it. We knew that the sequence was going to be about a minute and a half long because mm-hmm. that's kind of how long all the other sequences are. Mm-hmm. So we took a, a shortened uh, cut of Poco Loco. And so that's what we did our storyboards to, just so that we already knew the rhythm mm-hmm. of it and how long each each shot needed to be and yeah we had one storyboard artist and and then yeah it's just kind of the yeah, the typical animation process where after that you go into layout and um then after that rough animation and finished animation um but yeah i think just the fact that it's animated to music is a lot of fun and then you know the 3d we would check out at stages like when we were in layout we would check out the 3d Mm -hmm. That, that was actually one of the challenging things on this project because we were all working from home mm-hmm. is when we did want to check out the 3D, for example, we would have like four of us go into the studio and look at it in the theater, like all separated.
0: Oh. <laughs> so how far along are you in the production process when the pandemic hits?
2: I think we were in layout mm-hmm. or maybe just finishing with layout. Okay. Yeah, so we had the storyboards done, we had most of the layout done, and I think we were just going into animation um, at the beginning of the pandemic. So, um, you know, in some ways it was was good timing because in the pandemic, like, you know, morale was not, (laughs) you know, it's not the highest and everyone's kind of nervous and like, what's gonna happen. And so to get this fun, high energy, Mm -hmm. project that everyone feels good about, everyone loves the characters, I think was actually kind of a morale boost for our
0: our little team. (laughs) And certainly from the, the Pixar end of things, it, it must have been great to get back into the world of Coco and get to deal with Hector and Pepito and, you know, that bunch. But but this is also Donald Duck. This is, you know, <laughs> right. no pressure. You know, characters just in the mid-30s and one of Disney's top assets. So what was it like to now, you get to work with the cast, you know, from Coco, but now make Donald Duck fit in his world?
2: Right. Um, so this is interesting because... You know, Disney and Pixar, we both have our own animation software that mm-hmm. we use. We don't use the same animation software. So we actually had to come up with a pipeline of how are we going to do this thing? Mm-hmm. Because we've never actually had both studios like work on the same mm-hmm. animated project before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, our technical director, Tony Apodaca, was really uh, crucial to this project to mm-hmm. um, come up with uh, solution along with, along with Disney animation to come up with a process. So what we did was they gave us Donald's model, but it was not rigged. So we did just a very simple rig. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a rudimentary rig because we just did Donald's blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, so we needed to just make sure that the timing of him worked and the positioning of him worked because he has to interact with our characters and you know, our lighting has to work on him. So. We did the blocking of Donald and then once our stuff was done, it was almost like you have like a live action plate that you send to another studio to oh, match. No. To. <laughs> so we did all of our animation first with mm-hmm. Donald blocked out and then we sent our finished animation to Disney and they finished Donald holy
0: um, cow
2: so yeah that was-
0: <laughs> okay. okay I thought it was complicated I didn't think it was that complicated I, I, speaking of which I, was there any particular I mean we've already talked about for example you're establishing this up the, the world of the dead and you were talking about the, the wonderful sort of scene in the street there but was there any really particular uh, challenging scene with this I mean I have to assume the circle dance with everyone changing heads that had to be tough to do
2: yeah, I'd say as far as animation, that scene—that scene with the circle, head, the the circle, we call it the circle dance mm-hmm. shot—but I think that was probably one of the most challenging. And you know, the tower of skeletons at the end of the the party scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's a tower of skeletons that Donald kind of like climbs up. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty challenging too. I mean, any time when you have a bunch of characters all interacting and climbing on top of each other is Mm -hmm. like pretty hard. And the circle dance scene was challenging because of the way that the heads are all like attached to the Mm -hmm. character's bodies, but can be animated separately. So as a separate piece that comes off. So Mm -hmm. each head was sort of like attaching and detaching to each skeleton as it went along. So that was really, (laughs) (laughs) It it was a little complicated.
0: And, and to have to do this all to music and all on a beat oh my god oh yeah, yeah you you find out a year and a half two years ago when exactly did you deliver the final product to wdi
2: hmm. i think we were finished with our animation around december of last year 2020 It's, it's a little tricky too, like the way that our schedules line up. So like in theme parks projects, Mm -hmm. we don't have a dedicated animation team. Like it's just me basically. (laughs) So whenever we need animators, we have to borrow animators from the productions that are happening. So a lot of times we just have to wait until there's an opening in between productions Mm -hmm. and then we can grab animators, but Disney's schedule doesn't line up with our schedule. So we finished our animation, I think, like around December of last year, and then like there was a couple months where nothing was happening. Like, mm-hmm. so they just had to animate it when they could get animators, which I think was a couple months after that.
0: And again, Pixar is kind of famous for slipping Easter eggs into things. Is is there? Again, again, face it, we want people to go back to Mickey's merch a couple times. Is there anything people should be keeping an eye out for, or?
2: um well i might have put the pizza planet truck in there somewhere well
0: (laughs) cool okay well now we got to go back and look Pixar's done some wonderful films created some, some characters that generations have embraced but again it's one thing to make a character sympathetic and, you know, create a, a way for the audience to get in their corner. When do you got 90 minutes, two hours of screen time? <laughs> but face it, in, in the theme park world, you know, sometimes you you literally get seconds. Right. If you're lucky, it's a whole minute. What's it been like to go from somebody who, who worked on films like, you know, Cars and Finding Nemo and, and the original Monsters, Inc., to uh-huh. now being the one who's bringing them into the theme park world or for that matter you you had mentioned interactive gaming you know that sort Mm -hmm. of thing is it a different skill set or are you applying what you learned yeah
2: well yeah honestly it is i think i learned a lot in working on games that Mm -hmm. i bring to theme park creative direction Mm -hmm. because both of those are interactive art your guests are not just sitting passively and watching, they're interacting with your art. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like this sort of conversation that the designer is having with the guests back and forth. And you are taking their reactions and hopefully learning Mm -hmm. from their reactions and incorporating Mm -hmm. that into your design. Like, you know, in Turtle Talk, we did a lot of play testing Mm -hmm. um, just to make sure um, that everything was reading okay, you know that the audience is reacting mm-hmm. at the parts that we would like them to react to if they're laughing at the jokes. So I think that my background in working on games is you know it came in really handy um, for doing theme park stuff mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think it is interesting because like you said, you're trying to establish a relationship with the characters like very quickly mm-hmm. um, and I think that. I think that we are building on the feelings that the, the guests have already established from the film. So we definitely want to pull elements from the film that, that is that, that emotional feeling that they felt from the film. And so we're trying to kind of like hit that emotional feeling. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Like that's really the key is hitting that, that same emotion that they felt from the film, because if, if we can hit that emotion, then, then it's like, I think
0: they're really going to feel that connection with the characters. Got it. But but at the same time, you look at something like, you know, Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy, where you have the character on stage who then has to pivot and talk to characters who are on screen behind him and interact with the audience. And that's a lot of plates to spin. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just I, I look at a show like that and it's like, oh, dear Lord. You know, just <laughs> having to create all of the media for that and have it all look cohesive and part of you know all part of one world that's Mm -hmm. gotta have been tough
2: yeah we actually for lightning mcqueen's racing academy we built that set in vr um Mm -hmm. we have some uh some vr uh headsets that we use for things like that so that we could so that we could do that like we can have a, a cg version of the mcqueen animatronic with the animation on him there mm. with the with the screen behind him with our animation you know um projected mm. projected on the screen mm. on the virtual screen and so we can set up things like eye lines for example mm. that would be very difficult to match up if you don't have if you're not in the space and it's mm. it was hard because that uh that theater is in florida yes <laughs> and we're here in and we're here on the west coast so to create it virtually and you could sit in different seats in the mm-hmm. theater so you could make sure like okay from this seat I can still see his eyes okay that's mm-hmm. good <laughs> you know
0: wow <laughs> okay well uh, I do you have a particular uh, favorite Pixar based attraction you've done for the parks or or one you you consider especially challenging or
2: I mean, Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy was really fun. Like, Mm. that was the first time I've animated an animatronic figure. So like, that was just, it was just a new challenge for me and just really interesting. I I feel like I learned a lot. Um, And then I worked on um, Lamplight Lounge in Mm. Pixar Pier. And that was sort of in a different way. That was uh, really fun to work on. It was more like you're curating Uh, a museum or something
0: (laughs) no it's it's such a wonderful space it's clearly celebrates pixar but in a different way you know than Mm -hmm. perhaps i think people would expect And i think that's half the charm but that must have been a lot of interesting venn diagrams to work how inside is to inside that sort of thing
2: yeah yeah well we even came up with like a backstory for that space because just to give our our brains something to to latch onto when we were designing it, where it was like, okay, this is a lounge that was opened up by an ex Pixar employee (laughs) and it's near Pixar, but it's not at Pixar, but Pixar employees like to go and hang out there. So we had this whole kind of like like backstory that guided us when we were trying to figure out like what, yeah like what to put there um and and it really that's like one of the most fun things about my theme parks job is that every project is totally different and it's like some new challenge like something we've never done before seems like every time so uh it, it definitely keeps it interesting
0: killer okay one final question here i i, I mean I, and i feel kind of silly asking this given what's going on with the pandemic in california right now but mm-hmm. have we you know get the Have we actually managed to make it down to dca to to see the coco scene play in you know in filler there with a with a full audience or
2: um not with a full audience i was able to go um a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. and so we were just doing our final reviews of it Mm -hmm. um but that was the first work trip I've done in like a year and a half, probably. (laughs) So it was sort of weird, but also very familiar at the same time. It was really, it was sort of strange, but, um, but it was good to be back there and, you know, see people again. Uh, we work with WDI a lot, so it's really nice to like, see people in person. Um, and, and it looks amazing on the, the big screen and, um, with their nice like digital projection and with the side screens and um, the music and everything, it's just just turned out really great.
0: Well, I'm I'm, a, I'm very much looking forward to ca- catching it in self by in person myself. I mean, again, I've been living vicariously through YouTube, and even in teeny tiny YouTube, it looked amazing. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> well, well, thank you again for uh, you know making the time today to talk about uh, you know again this brand new wonderful cocoa sequence for Mickey's magic.
2: Thank you for having
0: me. Can't wait to get back to California to get the DCA to see this expanded version of Mickey's PhilharMagic. And thanks again to Tasha Sonart and the nice folks at Pixar for helping to make this interview happen. But again, if I were stuck in a car in California traffic coming back from Comic-Con, I know what I'd be listening to to while away that four and five hours in bumper to bumper traffic and... That would be, a course, like The Fuse, uh, you know, the wonderful Mission Impossible podcast that Drew rides herd on. What's going on over there this week?
1: Uh, well, we just actually recorded today with uh, Chris uh, Soldo, I believe is how you say his last name. Um, and he, is, uh, he was an assistant director on uh, Mission Impossible, and he's worked with De Palma a lot on um, – Bonfire of the Vanities and Scarface and Carlito's Way and all this stuff. So, we got some really great stories from him. Um, yeah, we we did a crossover episode with a podcast called Meeting Tom Cruise, which was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, the, we, got, we really? just got a bunch of stuff oh. in the hopper, Jim. Yeah.
0: I know I say this every show, but seriously, if you're not following Drew Taylor on social media, you're missing out on some very cool, very funny stuff. Uh, Can you tell folks how to find you, Drew?
1: Yeah, you can find me at Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, So yeah,
0: come on over. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Thanks again for listening, folks, and we'll be back soon.